0: I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if this podcast is helpful to you, come join us at the Digital Commerce Alliance. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week on Commerce Code, we're talking blockchain, loyalty, and rewards. It's a conversation with David Crystal and Peter Schultz of Asio's Heaps cryptocurrency platform. Before we get to that, though, we'll dig into three of the big stories in digital commerce from the last week. First, a civil liberties group threatens Tesco over data collection related to a loyalty program. Second, U.S. holiday shopping in 2022. Tis the season to be cautiously optimistic. And third... Grocery inflation continues to concern consumers. So, what are they going to do about it? All that's ahead. Here's a word from our sponsor.
1: Commerce Code is brought to you in part by VantageScore. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use VantageScore to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion. AdvantageScore.com.
0: Multinational grocery chain Tesco is being threatened with legal action for its get go checkout free retail operation, where customers pick what they want, bag as they shop, and walk out the door. The innovative cashierless store would allegedly infringe on customer privacy if Tesco were to open stores in the EU, according to the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, and as reported by the Financial Times last week. To shop in the store, GetGo customers must have a Tesco app, and they must enroll in the retailer's loyalty program. The retailer asserts that its virtual checkout saves customer time and hassle. Tesco also maintains that because the automation streamlines operations, prices are kept low. The Civil Liberties Group claims that Tesco's requirement for customers to sign up to Tesco's loyalty program in order to use its GetGo locations quote, infringes the principle of data minimization set out in EU data privacy law. They claim that an excessive level of data collection is involved, including facial recognition. This legal issue seems like an important one, given that the economic and convenience incentives to advance cashierless bricks-and-mortar stores are strong, but they will presumably all involve loyalty or membership models for the same reason Tesco's stores do. The EU data privacy law involves a balancing test. In other words, the issue isn't just whether certain data is collected or how it's treated once it's there but whether that data collection is proportional to the underlying need. Whether Tesco or elsewhere, the resolution of these kinds of questions will be important to the bricks-and-mortar retail sector's innovation. We don't have predictions on where the law will come out here, but we're pretty sure a lot of lawyers will keep themselves very busy advocating on both sides of the issue. On holiday shopping, cautious optimism may be in order this year. A recent McKinsey report reveals that despite economic uncertainty, U.S. shoppers are showing signs they're ready to open their wallets, starting now. Yes, consumers continue to be concerned about inflation and the state of the economy. More on that in a minute. But many of them have cash on hand, are weary of the challenges of the last two years, and are looking forward to moving on. How are retailers responding to this good news? They've kicked off the season early and doubled down on membership benefits to drive loyalty. They're guaranteeing price matches in online and offline purchases and generous return windows continue to spur potential customers on. Some merchants are betting that offering value to consumers will see them coming out on top this year. Even with that relatively optimistic take on holiday shopping to come, however, inflation still looms. Six in ten American adults report that they are very concerned about inflation now, according to marketing research firm Morning Consult. 72% are especially worried about inflation in the grocery category, That's not surprising, since food is the second-largest monthly expenditure for most people, behind housing. The American Consumer Price Index for food at home was up 13% year-over-year in September. In Canada, it was 11.4%, and in the EU, it was a whopping 15.4% in the year to August. High demand, fuel prices, and supply chain disruptions are likely to blame. So what are consumers doing in response? 83% of adults now compare food prices, and 81% of shoppers buy generic or store brands. These numbers are higher than they've been in the past. What are some other findings when it comes to grocery shopping? Well, people are buying fewer items, increasing their use of coupons, and purchasing less meat. Most disconcerting is the data that shows rising food prices are contributing to food insecurity. 42% of survey respondents say they worry that their food will run out before they have the money to buy more. Today on the show, I'm talking crypto, rewards programs, and innovation with David Crystal and Peter Schultz of Audio's Heaps Loyalty Program.
1: Join us on December 6th in Washington, D.C. for our DCA Summit, harnessing the disruption, succeeding at digital commerce in a recession economy. Come join other executives from leading financial, retail and technology firms to assess the path to success in the face of economic challenges and disruptive new technologies. Head over to our website at digcomall.org to reserve your spot today.
0: Peter and David, uh, welcome back on Commerce Code. The last time we talked, it was April, and we were talking crypto. And as it turned out, that was a few weeks before the Terra meltdown, which, of course, led to kind of a general meltdown in various cryptocurrencies. And then that little episode has led to a, a lot of lessons for the crypto world. So with that as a little bit of table setting, I wanted to just catch up on heaps Heaps is a platform that gives consumers the opportunity to convert loyalty rewards into cryptocurrencies. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, what what have you learned about consumer interest since launching Heaps? So, for example, what kind of loyalty programs is this a good fit for? Or what kind of people tend to like this kind of a reward?
2: Thank you, Dan, for having us back. Really excited to be here. On your first note, one thing I'd like to mention is, you know, obviously this this down cycle has been what we see as really a healthy reset for the industry. It's really, you know, helping creators build more robust projects with an eye and and a hope for more, you know, of a clear regulatory framework. You know, what we're seeing is that, interestingly enough, like long-term consumer outlook for crypto has actually improved since earlier this year. You're seeing, you know, continued new wallets and usage growing every day really despite sort of the price action we're seeing. And from our perspective, you know, institutions are, are really doubling down and getting ready for the next upcycle. We're, in terms of heaps, seeing success with end users that we call crypto curious. These are people that are relatively new to the idea of crypto. They've heard about Bitcoin, they've heard about Ethereum, but maybe they're, you know, a little hesitant to jump right in. And really, rewards are creating the easiest way for these people, you know, the crypto curious folks, to get started on their broader crypto journey you know, not having to reach into their back pocket, but rather using a form of found money or, or play money to invest, to hold, and, and start learning about the space.
0: David, you've covered a lot of ground in your career, different kind of sectors and industries, and, and I'm wondering how different crypto is, maybe culturally or maybe just the way that the business works. So from your perspective, I know this is a really abstract question, but Is it true that crypto is really different to deal with? And and what's kind of been surprising to you as you've been learning about the Web3 and the crypto space? The broad stroke is this.
3: It's no longer a consumer-driven world. From a first principles basis, we're becoming a consumer-powered world, period. Money is a social construct as much as it is a government construct. Social networks today are not equitable. So when you participate, you actually don't benefit. In blockchain, meaning Web 3.0, you actually benefit from where you participate. This makes it unique and drives all kinds of new behaviors as social and economic value intersect, including in the world of loyalty. We're entering a new chapter, Right now, in the internet journey, one of digital empowerment as we move from, you know, 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0, consumers will expect value delivery in literally every aspect of their digital lives. And this, of course, all accelerated during COVID, spending more of our lives in the digital space. So in Web 3.0, we are actually using blockchain as a means to exchange digital assets in a way that is native to the internet, intersecting economics, commerce, community experiences, social, in the most authentic way. I mean, this is such an inventive time. That's really what's generating, I think, not just curiosity, but a genuine enthusiasm for us.
0: And that connects into you know, loyalty programs. I want to just come specifically back to that. Or you know, loyalty, let's say, and related, right? And something you have a lot of experience with. So blockchain, as you've said, has transformative possibilities in a lot of areas. Maybe a well-known example these days is it might make it easier for content creators, artists, and such To kind of capture a stream of payments for their work over time. And I think that's that sort of democratization, you know, that you're talking about. And so in the loyalty or the reward space, it seems like blockchain could have a pretty big impact. But I just wonder what you think the maybe the path or the possibilities are there. We see
3: NFTs increasingly becoming a new way to elevate engagement with consumers, members, cardholders, employees. NFTs are creating new forms of digital property and as utility is taking form versus like speculative art or even status symbols. Now what's happening is we're moving into more utility like use cases to digital access passes that entitle members to exclusive perks and benefits like a lifetime VIP pass to Coachella music festivals or to digital representations of products like the Nike sneaker drop. But the most important thing from our perspective goes back to Web 3.0 blockchain. It's not the NFT itself, but the technology. So in the end, Web 3.0 blockchain is the base layer and consumer experience is the layer built on top of that.
2: I think what's different in sort of this designation of Web3 is that participation and ownership brings you both social status, but also economic benefit and really a point of conversation and conversion across social networks. I think the other, you know, maybe one or two other use cases we're seeing is, you know, that blockchain could enable, you know, multi-brand loyalty alliances in, in ways that were previously, you know, challenging to execute. And then number three, I think David mentioned briefly, was this idea of gated access to experiences. We're starting to see NFTs as a form of utility and, and being able to use them essentially as a key that can unlock access to digital experiences, to communities on, on Discord or other platforms, or to commerce. So those are some of the other areas we're, we're starting to see opportunities in. Do you ever,
0: Peter, even attempt to explain to your family at Thanksgiving what you do, or do you just avoid that conversation?
2: <laughs> I uh, I tell them I'm building a magic internet money startup. <laughs> that is
0: fantastic. Okay, so now that you've it described it that way, which maybe maybe you wouldn't to everybody. The other thing I, I wanted to mention was you know risk, right? Like just, and I think you guys have a very probably a more nuanced understanding of this. But I think for most people, even inside the industry, they hear crypto, whether it's cryptocurrencies, whatever they think about risk. So from your perspective, you know what's the kind of main risk here? From what you can tell, either for programs or for consumers, like, how do you think about risk in this space?
3: I think the risk is real, right, in that it's still a fairly nascent technology, whether it's on the blockchain front or on the more specific crypto front. So for consumers, the easy and obvious answer is that there is volatility with crypto investments. And that's why we're so focused on what we consider to be an education-first approach versus an advocacy approach. And that's a fundamental difference between what others are doing in the organization how we represent our clients and brands. And by creating and expanding the educational resources that are part of our platform, we leave users informed about crypto, blockchain, and how it could fit into their
2: everyday financial lives. I think it's important to mention the enterprise side as well. You know, we see rightfully so some financial institutions or or enterprise partners worrying about jumping in too soon because of sort of the reputational risk if something goes wrong. But, you know, the common theme at the same time is that there's this common sense of inevitability to the, the technology Everyone knows crypto is going to be a part of our everyday lives moving forward. They're just not sure about the right way and the timing to enter the space. And so that's what we're really trying to do at Heaps is you know, helping brands and organizations find that tactical starting point and a way to enter the crypto space in a way that's you know, brand additive, regardless of price movement, as an example.
0: So coming out of the, the risk part of the conversation, which is you could say the glass half empty, the glass uh, more than half full, I think, here with blockchain is just an infinite amount of innovation and possibilities. I, I personally don't think that we've even begun to test out like, all the things that blockchain could potentially do and that its best use might turn out to be something we haven't thought of yet. Um, would love to get your perspective on what's the newest or maybe a new thing in blockchain that you think Commerce Code listeners should know about?
2: So we were just out at Money 2020 last week in Vegas, which today I think is one of the largest fintech conferences in the world. But some of the sort of the core themes, I think, that I I at least took away from the conference, you know, consumer sentiment just around crypto more broadly is surprisingly high given the current market. And I think that leads into the second theme. I think that's really been coming to the forefront, which is people will soon expect crypto at their bank. And if banks don't offer access to crypto, we're seeing that consumers are are willing to jump ship. And then tactically, some of the new things in blockchain, KYC or Know Your Customer, I think, is the next piece of the puzzle that's really attracting a lot of attention. We saw a ton of projects that are attempting to tokenize identities. Essentially, what that means is instead of looking for and identifying bad actors, you label the good ones. So you label your good actors on an anonymized blockchain and you're able to transfer that anonymized ID across platforms. And then number three, I think, which was a huge theme this year was stable coins. You know, it's really a common thing among leaders in commerce is leveraging stable coins, meaning, you know, a one-to-one U.S. dollar-backed blockchain-based currency as a faster and cheaper way to settle payments, especially cross-border. You're seeing, you know, this really becoming a better form of settlement for day-to-day transactions. So I think that's, that's where we're seeing some of the you know, development in terms of other uses around blockchain.
0: This is a hard question, but what do you think is most likely to be disrupted in any space? So you mentioned expectation of, of crypto at banks. I think that could be really disruptive. The tokenized ID sounds tremendous and I'm still just wrapping my head around that, but we spend so much energy and time Economically, et cetera, trying to verify who people are. So that's huge. And then the stablecoin piece seems obviously important. What do you think is vulnerable to disruption as a result of all this?
3: It's difficult to predict precisely what will be disrupted. But I think it's entirely accurate to predict much will be disrupted. And the reason for that is that the consumer, as we shared earlier, is in the driver's seat. There's never been an empowered consumer the way that blockchain will enable. Consumers will expect in-demand new portable value and will ultimately have the power to influence brand behavior. This will be, if, if it's not a key, it will be the key to building loyalty and brand affinity in the years ahead. What blockchain essentially does is it turns consumers into promoters at scale and across all human roles, meaning as an employee, as a customer, as a member of an organization, and so forth, like nothing we've ever seen before. And that will be
0: very disruptive. So if crypto kind of reminds me of the gold rush, maybe not the perfect analogy, but there's a little, there's a little of it, then it seems like heaps and certain other players that serve the crypto space, but from what I can tell, are not deep, like committed to the cryptocurrency of any any specific cryptocurrency or et cetera, kind of remind me of Levi Strauss and the other companies that said, hey, we're going to serve all these people that are doing this work. And in some cases, like with Levi's, established very successful long-term businesses that had all kinds of applications beyond uh, people that were uh, mining for gold. Is that a sort of an apt comparison in terms of where heaps sits uh, adjacent to crypto? What are you looking to build here long-term?
3: We might think of it a bit differently, you know, riffing off of your gold rush analogy for a second. There's the gold itself, the pick and the shovel. By the way, I'm assuming this, I wasn't around back in those days, but we actually see ourselves as the railroads. We get financial institutions, brands, and ultimately people from where they're at to where the gold's at quickly, securely,
0: and with comfort. That's great. So uh, last thing maybe to touch on here, and and this has just been a great conversation, but on, on timing... I looked back at this and was, I guess, not surprised. Blockchain was launched in October of 2008. So that's maybe in a way longer ago than I kind of would think. But on the other hand, you know, we've all been aware of Bitcoin for a long time, whatever that means in people's minds. People have been investing time, effort, money in this for, you know, 14 years. Timing is everything in something like this. So, you know, why is this the right time for heaps to be doing its thing?
3: First, there's universal awareness of crypto today. I think statistics are something like 94% of people have at least heard of Bitcoin or Ethereum. I suppose it isn't yet too big to fail, but it's way too big to ignore in our view, especially. The fact that blockchain is the underlying technology, as we've shared. So people are interested in crypto curious, but some, I guess many haven't participated yet, but many are demanding it or they're certainly reaching out to learn more. The questions that matter most about crypto from our perspective relate to scale and mass adoption. That makes today the perfect time to connect with these users through rewards as the
2: easiest entry point you've really seen the era of move fast and break things for the past decade in crypto and that works for startups and small scale projects but that doesn't work with you know the major financial institutions and you know legacy brands that have real reputations on the line and i think that's really you know from a timing perspective why we see today is so important and and where, you know, the real opportunities are and really why we're focused on providing, you know, the simple, secure, compliant ways for leading brands and institutions to be able to take their first steps into the world of crypto and digital assets by leading with education and and offering access through rewards and benefits.
0: Gentlemen, this has been a fun conversation. Thanks so much for both your time and your thoughts today. And I look forward to seeing how Heaps does down the
2: line.
3: Thanks, Dan. We always
2: love being with you. Thank you very much, Dan.
0: In recent conversations with DCA members, we're hearing a lot about a new wave of tech that threatens even the most innovative businesses. Many leaders are expecting a shakeout in the next couple of years. One key question, though, which tech is the next giant killer? Obviously, we hear a lot about Web3 and cryptocurrencies, but there's also AI, Internet of Things, geolocation, advanced personalization technologies, identity tokenization, facial recognition, and a lot more. So we'd love it if you would help us learn more about these technologies. DCA's Tech Disruption Survey is an online tool open from now through November 10th, and we'd love it if you'd take the survey and give us your thoughts on which technologies are going to change the digital commerce world in the next few years. Everyone who participates in the survey will receive a report of the results, and we're happy to have you participate whether your company is a member of DCA or not. If you're interested, just email me at dan at digcomall.org, that's just dan at D-I-G-C-O-M-A-L-L and we'll send you a link to the survey. The survey results will support DCA's tech disruption working session, which is going to be a small group of member executives working together on the issue this month, as well as the DCA Summit in Washington, D.C. on December 6th. In the meantime, here's a list of questions we think every executive in digital commerce should be asking herself or himself right now. First, which technology do we increasingly hear about but don't really understand? Then, what moves are our competitors making that make no sense to us? What do they know that we don't? What's a cheap solution in our space that we're aware of but are kind of ignoring right now? What piece of our business is most vulnerable to cost competition disruption from below? What piece of our business is most profitable? It might be the same thing. What piece of our business is least convenient for our core customers so that there's a convenience or simplification play? What piece of our business is least tech-enabled, and could part of our business just be turned into an app? Thanks for joining us this week on Commerce Code, and again, we'd love to hear from you through the Tech Disruption Survey. Just email me at dan at digcomall.org.
1: Commerce Code is a weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.